I'm Tom Henriksen from MyITCareerCoach.com, where we build great tech careers, and welcome to Tech Career Talk. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about being a leader in technology with Mike Freed. Mike, introduce yourself to the people here on Tech Career Talk. Hi, uh, my name is Mike Freed. Um, I'm a principal solutions architect with uh, General Dynamics IT and also responsible for um, what we call our uh, sector CTO. So provide a, playing a CTO role to an entire sector of uh, business areas within uh, General Dynamics. So that sounds like you have, uh, you wear many hats at GDIT, Mike. Uh, yeah, and you could say that. I mean, for right now, the, the main focus, uh, my main focus is really two things. About 20% of it is supporting uh, delivery and that's sort of a CTO role, if you will. Um, delivery of you know, I'm actually not even entirely sure. It's well over a billion dollars worth of business a year um, within the sector. I have responsibility for the Department of Transportation, which the agencies underneath there, what we call components, the FAA, um, Highway Safety Transportation Bureau, and also um, the, the DOT itself. Uh, the Department of uh, Justice, <clears throat> which includes U.S. Marshals, ATF, FBI, uh, and then within the Department of Justice itself. Um, also have... Um, U.S. courts, which is a judiciary branch, but we include it in our justice area. And then I have the Department of Treasury, IRS, um, SEC, uh, PBGC, which is a Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, uh, mm -hmm. not as well known. Um, tre Treasury itself, U.S. Mint, um, so a bunch of groups there. And then science and engineering. So these, these would all be in the sector that I'm responsible to. Wow. Science and engineering includes NASA, NOAA, um, FERC. Um, and a big one is Department of Energy and the EPA. Uh, so all those different groups where we're doing uh, technology-related projects, when they have issues with something, they need some additional support, they need some uh, connections to either the right vendors or other areas within the organization where we're doing something and we can provide a certain level of support, I can get pulled in to help them. Again, that's only about 20 25%. Because most of the time our delivery teams are, are pretty well situated and built to do what they need to do, which is to deliver on the contracts. Uh, the majority of my work is around uh, leading bids now, building proposal responses. So when the government issues an RFP uh, for a major project in FAA, we're actually looking at the air traffic control, for instance. Um, and in other areas, it could be a smaller bid. And you know, PBGC, we're bidding on a, a, an, inf an IT infrastructure support contract. Um, then I'll get involved in my team around building those solutions, designing the solutions, what our response winning strategy from a technology uh, and solution standpoint is, which when we talk about technology solutions, it's people process and technology um, <clears throat> and build that response and put it together. Those proposal efforts can take anywhere from a year to two weeks, depending on the size and scope and then the requirements from the government. So as you're putting together all this and you're pulling in lots of, I guess, pieces and parts there, especially along the lines of technology, what are some of the things you, you do to, to help lead those technology teams as you're pulling together that kind of disparate group and, and putting those people together? Well, I guess um, it, it, it can de depend a lot on the bid. I mean, there's obviously some things that, that are stronger from my background and expertise, um, but the main thing I'll do is realize, uh, identify the gaps. Where do I need to pull in different types of SMEs, subject matter experts. Um, can I get them internally? So, um, and, and you know, do I need to go externally? Do I need to build partnerships? 
Um, and, and it's pretty similar to, in my mind, when I was running software development projects, you know, which is something that uh, I started as a programmer and then it, it, um, played in a different types of roles of titles from the standpoint of IT delivery lead. But um, leading those teams was a similar type of a thing. We would look at our scope, what we needed to do, you know, where we needed help, uh, where we were weak, um, where we had strengths, and then how were we going to uh, fill in for those weaknesses. Um, to be able to deliver on what we had to do and on the timeline. The interesting thing is with, with proposals is, you know, the timeline where it, it can move, you can get an extension from the government, but you can't be late. <laughs> if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're two minutes late and they don't want you in, then you're out. That's it. Despite the amount of effort you may put into the response. So yeah. uh, we always strive to, to uh, turn ours in a day early here uh, to avoid any of those kind of situations. But as we know in software delivery, a lot of times, uh, those dates slide. It gets too easy sometimes to slide them. Yeah. I think the other important thing to do is to be uh, in motion, I guess, is one of the phrases that I use and not um, putting these things together requires a lot of collaboration. Mm -hmm. uh, we also do something where we put people in, they call the tank. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm an advocate of the tank, but not always, but where we force people <laughs> more or less to spend a lot of time in a room together to work out these details and solutioning. So, you know, it might be akin to uh, uh, a joint application development effort, you know, a JAD meeting where you might solve those kind of problems. Mm -hmm. um, similar type of thing where we get everybody together and we force people to be active and not sitting at their desk, um, trying to do it from more of a methodical approach. So when you're working with those teams and you're kind of bringing them together, what are some of the pain points you, you run into? It sounds like you've discussed a few there, but dig a little deeper. Well, the, the biggest pain points that we'll run into is where we don't have the right kind of past performance experience or expertise on hand, where we run into a gap. Um, and then that gap can be, you know, uh, something where we, we may be struggling to find the right partner to solve the problem, or the gap could be uh, that we don't have the right expertise in-house. So um, what we'll try to do is, you know, uh, be creative and identify, <clears throat> excuse me, external teams where we can and, and fill the gap that way. I would say that's probably one of the biggest pain. The other big pain point we'll have um, is, again, in, in, a, in a software development effort would be similar to the requirements, right? So if, if the RFP has uh, either restrictions that don't make sense or requirements that just aren't well enough defined, um, obviously a lot of times you can ask questions, um, but they may or may not answer them. Um, sometimes you don't identify a problem until you get far enough in the weeds. You know, you really, you can read it at first time and think, well, there's really nothing here I need to ask a question about. But then when you're really starting to build that piece of it, you realize, I need to know more here. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, on the RFP side, sometimes we have to fill that gap in on our own, and and we do that with assumptions. Um, on the software side, typically that's something where you're going to go, you know, elicit more detail from your customer mm -hmm. uh, as you're building out those requirements. But it, it's a similar kind of thing. I think those are the biggest challenges. Um, and there's also differences in how you know, having done international work as well, how different countries or governments go about doing their procurement, yeah. even some differences between state and federal, um, and a little bit of difference between some of the agencies, you know, um, in terms of how easy they make it to work with them to get information that you really need not for any kind of an advantage, but just to, to really try and build the best possible solution for them. So now I want you to kind of think back to when you're first starting out, 
I know, for instance, Mike, I don't want to embarrass you here, but you've been called the Elvis of Clipper. And I'm not sure there's many people out there that know what Clipper is, but you were at one time a, a programmer, a developer, pretty good one, I guess, to get that title. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure who I was being compared to, but yeah. <laughs> but what advice would you give to someone new starting out in technology? Well, you know, it's interesting too, the, the, the timing of this, my son is graduating uh, next December. Uh, with his um, uh, Bachelor of Science in MIS. And for in his case, um, he, you know, he wasn't entirely sure he wanted to code and all that. So that's why I recommended the MIS path versus, you know, a software engineering or, you know, something more hardcore like that. Um, and at the same time, my daughter is entering into this field. She just graduated high school a couple nights ago. And with her, her concerns a little bit different in terms of what she wants to do. She wants to code, but she doesn't, she, her big concern is just how much time she's, and money she's going to spend on college. And my recommendation to a lot of people is um, don't go overboard with, the, and this sounds against the grain in some areas, but also not with, with a lot of the trends that are going on with the Silicon Valley type companies. And that is um, from an education standpoint, I think a lot of times getting a two-year degree uh, in, in something that's IT related or some programming skills is a great way to start. Mm-hmm. Um, because in there's like I said, there's been some recent articles where I think Apple, Google, and a lot of the big name companies now are saying they don't even require bachelor's degrees, especially for their developers. Yeah. Um, and I say that in part because even just working with my son, who I think is going to a reputable college, uh, some of the IT courses that he's been taking, I've been look, working with him on the content, and I just don't feel like it was, you'll learn, you're going to learn so much more in the business place. Yeah. Um, I have friends that own consulting companies and they say their interns tell them they learn more in the two and a half months that they're there than they do in three or four years of college. Yep. Um, and the other key point is for people who are borrowing a lot of money to go to school. If you can get a good two year community college degree and get in somewhere, a lot of companies will pay for those other two years if you want to do them. Mm-hmm. And even if it takes longer, let's say it takes you six and a half, seven years to complete all of that you're going to be at the end of that with no debt and far more experience. Um, so I think that's one of the main pieces of advice I, I would give people in terms of preparing yourself from uh, in going into the education part of it. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is, um, you know, give it time. There's a lot of different pieces of the work that's out there um, and, and be prepared for how fast it's going to change. Uh, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I run into are people who, very rarely, but the people who have struggled in this industry are wondering where their training is for the next thing. And, and I think you have to be reading, keeping up, um, and, and teaching yourself in order to move. Uh, and I think, you know, for myself, yeah, I was, whether it was the Elvis of Clipper or not, but I was self-taught from the very beginning. I was a political science major um, and fell into IT, obviously at the right time, you know, in the early 90s before the, the internet explosion and everything. So it served me well, but I think the people who really thrive are the ones who keep up to date on their own yeah. uh, and can teach themselves those skills. And obviously if you have a natural aptitude for development, um, that's going to go a long ways. And that's something that you, I guess you just don't know until you really you know, start messing around with it. So then kind of taking that to the next step, I know Mike, you know, just in full disclosure, you were my boss for a while and worked for you. You had been a leader for technology teams, as you mentioned a few different times. What advice would you give to someone new starting out as a technology leader? <clears throat> I think it kind of goes back to even what I was saying when we're doing the proposal developments. I said, you know, be in motion. Um, one of the terms that I always use is kinetic. Uh, 
I've always preferred, whether it's project management, whether it's IT leadership, um, uh, a kinetic leadership style or method versus what I call a methodical one. Um, you know, you have to be active, you have to be engaged. It doesn't necessarily mean, and, and there's some, you know, concerns where developers and IT people won't respect you if you don't understand the technology. I think as soon as you really get into leadership, it's, it's a matter of time before you start to lose more and more of that hands-on, you know? Yeah. Um, technology keeps moving. And if you want to be a coder and a leader, I think you'll struggle. I think one of the things, that, and another expression I've, I've used there is that it, it's hard to keep your eyes on the horizon when you're dug so deep in the trench. Uh, and a lot of that comes from the fact that there's always so much demand and need for those people that can do the hands-on that if you still cling to it and do it, you're going to find yourself buried in it. And then you're going to be neglecting the leadership part of it. Um, so that's the one thing. Make sure you let go. Make sure if, if they've come from that type of background, embrace uh, the leadership role and what it is, but also be active, be kinetic, be involved, be up and around and moving and engaging people and not sitting behind a desk, managing through emails, uh, Gantt charts. Um, you know, and that kind of stuff. You, you can do a lot of pretty presentations on uh, trying to show people where we are, but can you really describe where we are? And can you really work with the team to help them identify the obstacles and challenges that are going to be in front of them that are going to keep them, potentially keep them from completing what they needed to do? And then also, how do you identify those and then remediate those uh, issues? And I think that re requires um, someone who's in motion, so a kinetic manager. Very good. Lots of good advice there. So Mike, we've talked for a little bit here. Any closing thoughts? Um, you know, not it's right now, this industry is just absolutely crazy. And, and I, there's been, and you, you and I've worked together long enough over the years. You can recall times when the offshoring thing was happening when we were being told that, you know, it was going to uh, be more or less a commodity and you know there wouldn't be the demand that there is now and here we are sitting at a stage where I think it's stronger than it's ever been especially in the areas of cyber and cloud um, there, there's so much opportunity and so many different things that that uh, you know ways that you can go in this industry and still be very technical or, or even be non-technical you know in terms of your hands-on part of your role um, so I think from my party, I just couldn't be more excited about where it is even for us right now, but also people that are entering into this career field in terms of the possibilities and the opportunities that exist. Um, one thing that I always tell my son too, especially when he's coding, is to stick to it. You know, there's times when I remember when I was learning a new programming concept, you know, something simple as, uh, you know, I don't know what we used to call code blocks. Um, which was a, you know, a fancy way of accomplishing different types of loops and stuff. And I get so stuck and I just didn't understand it. And then all of a sudden, boom, it was like, at some point it just hits you and you got it. And then you were just on momentum and you could build upon that so quickly. Uh, there's going to be times in this industry where something comes up and you're just like, I don't get it. Um, and then there's some people that immediately see things, you know, uh, and catch them and get them and run with them. Um, and that's great. But sometimes, you know, if, if something takes a little while to figure out, don't don't get too uh, discouraged to stick to it. And a lot of times you get over that hill and just keep rolling. Yeah. Very good advice. Well, thanks, Mike, for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me today, Tom. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at tom at myitcareercoach.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast. I'm Tom Hendrickson from My IT Career Coach, where we build great tech careers. And thanks for watching Tech Career Talk.